Blog Talk Radio. While you're strolling down the fairway, showing no remorse, growing from the poison they sprayed on your golf course. While you're busy thinking birdies and keeping your scorecard, the devil's been busy in your backyard. Good evening. And welcome to the Truth Squad with Marty Oakley and Barb Peterson, where we will be talking about things that the mainstream media wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. This show is sponsored by the PPJ Gazette and Aggie the Traveling Agrobacterium. You don't want either one showing up in your backyard. To find out all you want to know about current events and GMOs, visit the PPJ at ppjg.wordpress.com and Aggie at farmwars.info. Sounds like we had a little hitch in our get-along. Hi, everybody. This is Marty Oakley, and welcome to another episode of True Squad Radio with my co-host, Barb Peterson. Say hi, Barb. Hi, Barb. She's not talking. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing just fine, thank you. Hi, Marty. Yeah. Hello, and with us we have Nicole Johnson, and she's our guest for this evening, and uh, we brought her on early because what Nicole has to talk about is extremely important. Um, we're going to have a discussion of case, CAFOs and um, what's in S510, what's not in the bill that should have been, and um, how this all relates to industrialized agriculture. Say hello, Nicole. Hello, Nicole. <laughs> Hi, Barb. Hi, Marty. <laughs> it's a comedy show, isn't it? <laughs> uh, uh, I, I've really been looking forward to this show this week. Um, of course, we've been pounding S510 every day. Um, this thing is such an egregious attack on our sovereignty and the fact that it's being sold as some kind of food safety bill just absolutely irks me to death. There is nothing in this bill that will make food safe. And um, during the course of tonight's broadcast, Nicole is going to explain to us many reasons why um, this bill is such a sham. Um, Nicole, why don't you just go ahead and and rip into what you got going here. Um, Why don't we start with the discussion of CAFOs? All right, you wanted to know, you know, what's not in it and why, and, well, first of all, you know, what's not in it. Um, If the key purpose of this legislation were to address the underlying causes of um, the cases of foodborne illness that result in the most cases of of death in this country, we'd see a piece of legislation that addresses the conditions in CAFOs, those confined area feeding operations that basically treat – you know, livestock like factory widgets instead of complex biological creatures. Um, we'd be talking about how um, we how we feed animals and and how we house them in overcrowded conditions that compromise their health. But but we're not doing any of that in this, not at all. Um, we'd supposedly, you know, if we're, if we're worried about enteric diseases, you know, diseases coming from the guts of animals. Um, 
we be focusing this the focus of this bill would be really different and we're totally ignoring their cause if we thought about the cause we'd be acknowledging that feeding them a diet that they're not evolved to eat changes the pH balance in their digestive tracts um, and those changes actually give a competitive advantage to bacteria um, that can harm us if we end up um, getting a bit of them in our food. Um, basically, instead, this bill is passing along the responsibility for CAFO pollution that gets into our environment to produce farmers. And we're making them incur all sorts of costs and, and burdens of regulations beyond those that are already imposed by the state and local regulatory agencies. It's um, it's just a no-win situation for them, and there, there's going to be a fallout where some of the, the folks who make the healthiest food for us, even if they're not around CAFOs, they're going to um, be subject to a lot of costly burdens. Uh, to me, one of the most well, disturbing... Nicole, go ahead. Isn't, isn't, this, isn't this thing with um, the manure, it's become toxic waste, what was manure and fertilizer that's been used for eons has become so toxic, and yet nothing in this bill addresses the fact that uh, what these animals, the excrement of these animals is actually so poisonous from all the pharmaceuticals, pesticides, herbicides, GMO, um, and this diet, feeding them this diet of grain causes these changes. Go ahead. A lot of the specifics about what will be covered haven't been written yet, but in the some of the marketing agreements that the industry is looking at, they would eliminate manure from from use, at least in certain growing, for certain crops, because there is that problem. The manure is becoming contaminated with like E. coli 0157H7, and there is concern for, for uptake. So that kind of manure can't be used, or it needs to be well, well aged, I guess, so that it it, it doesn't. Uh, well, you know, all manure needs to be that well aged before the use of, that opens up people to have it to be required, possibly to use synthetics, which is what we're really trying to get away from, or we need to, so that people don't have to incur more costs. Yeah, that um, doesn't make any sense sense to me. But they're thinking in that in that manner because all manure needs to be aged. You can't put fresh manure on something or it'll kill it. Um, right. I know well, I've done it. Yeah. You got, so they you don't make any sense. sense. Well, Codex, I was getting a little off of this, but right now they just had a, a Codex rule was uh, passed down this last week, I read, um, saying that for ready-to-eat products, they don't want uh, manure to be used because of problems with it. Now I don't know how that's going to play out with the organics, but for certain ready, ready to eat, ready to eat yeah. is an apple. You know the ones in the bags and the in the plastic boxes that would affect those that all get, get harvested and processed and washed and then they're ready to just dump on your plate. But couldn't couldn't that apply to every single um, vegetable? That that is a concern. Or piece of fruit, I and mean, if the wording is so vague, that could apply to everything, and which could lead to manure being outlawed as a fertilizer. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I'm just kind of taking it through to its logical conclusion here. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, um, and so, Nicole, you, you say that uh, produce farmers are going to have to create and maintain HACCP plans. Um, right. Um, I, I don't even... Yeah, the, the, this, the legislation is very specific that if, you, if you're a, you know, produce farmers that sell 50% or more into the wholesale market or who are producing commodity, certain crops identified uh, as requiring uh, these additional plans, um, they'd be creating and maintaining these HACCP plans or HARS plans. It's a variation like a HACCP light plan. And according to the world's foremost expert on HACCP, the man who was hired by the creator of HACCP, um, this, this happened in Pillsbury, um, and he, this fellow, uh, Dr. William Sperber, he was responsible for the widespread industrial uh, adoption of HACCP in this country and even throughout the world. And he looks at this, these plans um, that, you know, they say, hey, hey, you know, HACCP wasn't designed for raw food production and processing. Is there's, it doesn't work at the farm stage for the simple reason that there's absolutely no kill step that can possibly scientifically eliminate pathogens. So we're really looking at um, a fraud. I mean, if the man who's mm -hmm. pushing this his entire career saying it doesn't work at the farm level for these reasons, what they're pushing is something else entirely. It's just there's, and what, and it's been bothering me, you know, why? But, you know, I'm, it's interesting you've got when um, had Senator T Dr. Tom Colburn made the point um, when he was uh, justifying why he was uh, not agreeing to the unanimous consent of this bill a uh, few, few weeks ago. Uh, he said the bill fails to, also fails to address the underlying cause of enteric pathogens and that he said that public health is just not going to be protected by this legislation from the pathogens that cause the m most cases of death. So here, here you've got something that's just not, it, it's not going to do the job it, it says it is, and it doesn't address the real causes. So, you know. Well, so there has to be an underlying agenda. Pardon me? I've asked that bill so many so many times, and um, there is nothing, I don't know how anybody could have read this bill, Nicole, and come away thinking that any part of it would make the food supply safe. Um, one of the things that, you know, of course, just torques me to no end is this thing of importing into this country products which we could be producing ourselves. For some reason, everything is for sale, for sale, for sale. And if we're not exporting and importing, why then we're interfering with free trade. And free trade seems to apply to everyone except independent and family producers. And when you look at in the context of this bill, this whole bill is targeted at family farmers and ranchers, independent producers of, of not only meat and poultry, but of produce. And the penalties all lie with them. And like I say, after having gone through it so many times and having read this HACCP fraud, as you call it, and it is, um, the idea that you would let the worst contaminators, the worst causes 
of foodborne illness to self-inspect. Now, what kind of report do you think they're going to give? Oh, yeah, we got a, you know, we've got a virus or we've got a pathogen or we've got something in there. We've got some kind of infection and we need to close down for a few days and clean up. They don't do that. Well, yeah. And I, they, go ahead. For the for the big guys, it's it is basically um, partially privatizing the inspection process. Their their own employees um, fill out paperwork, and the inspectors are able to only check off the paperwork. They they are not to pull meat off the line or something. So when this is for the big guys, this is this is easy. This makes it real simple. But for the small guys, it's not just costly, but if there's a problem, um, well, we've, we've seen a lot of how that works. I mean, they get run out of business. Um, John Munsell's case is, is an excellent example where he received meat from a large meat, packing, meat packer in uh, ConAgra in Greeley, Colorado, uh, and when they opened the box at his plant to, to grind it, there was... Um, it was contaminated. He didn't know that until later tests were done. But he didn't introduce that. He didn't introduce the, the contamination there. He, his plant had no dirty hides. There was no slaughtering going on. Um, yet he had to go through four months of, of real hell and changing his HACCP plan 14 different times. And they just they were never happy with it. But they wouldn't go back and deal with the source. Because the source had, you know, lots of lawyers in deep pockets, and they don't, they don't go after the big guys. But they have no problem about making the little guys, you know, just yeah. making it miserable for them. Anything but. To well, in all of all of this too is um, Harry Reid uh, and his pushing of this bill, and this man has really gotten on my bad side with this. And uh, with that in mind. Um, I'd like to play you a little clip that Barb found of Harry Reid declaring that he saved the world. And Drop further than any other. Oh, yeah, because we were at the top, and we have fallen very hard. So people have been hurting, and I understand that. And it doesn't give them comfort or solace for me to tell them, uh, you know, but for me, we'd be in a worldwide depression. They want to know what I have done for them. Hold it. Did I just hear that right? Let's rewind the tape and listen to that again. And it doesn't give them comfort or solace for me to tell them, uh, you know, but for me, we'd be in a worldwide depression. <laughs> yeah, Harry. I just for you. Can't, can't believe it. And with that in mind, uh, we would like to issue Harry Reid, Senate Majority Leader, the jackass aboard. Here you go, Harry. This week's PPJ Jackass Award goes to Senator Harry Reid for attempting to ram S-510 down our throats by severely limiting the debate through what is known as cloture. Cloture is a motion or process aimed at bringing debate to a quick end. Well, Mr. Reid, there is something we would like to bring to a quick end, and that is your term of office. I love it. <laughs> Just a little extra 
spraying in there. Um, <laughs> Nicole, um, <laughs> I love it. Um, if, if there's no way to kill the pathogens at the raw food level, what yeah, what so in the world could be the justifiable purpose in in calling for this? Yeah, I've been wondering that for a while, and I really, um, you know, why would if there's no way to kill them at the raw food level, why would there be such a huge concerted movement that's in this country to impose it on raw food production and processing? And it's taken a lot of digging. I just I just didn't. It just took a while, <laughs> um, but I think I can give you some historical context and, in which these things start to make some sense. Um, I know your listeners are familiar with Codex Alimentarius, you know, the UN-affiliated, WTO-affiliated organization. That well, it's supposed to you know reduce the barriers to trade um, and making uniform standards. Um, but it really serves the business interests of like transnational corporations that seek to well increase globalization of the food supply. They um, by making it easier basically for them to move their products from where it is cheapest to produce them uh, to where it is most profitable to sell them, and then to kind of consolidate their hold on the global food supply chain. Well, in, in 1993, Co- uh, Codex adopted HACCP as the production and inspection system that it would use from farm to table. So that would mean all of its signatories would have to use it as well. So this this is really your key trigger. And then later that same year, President Clinton established something called the Presidential Council on Sustainable Development. He did this by executive order. It was uh, done in response to uh, President Uh, George H.W. Bush having signed in 1992 the Rio Declaration at the Earth Summit Agenda 21 meeting. Now, I I didn't anticipate going there in my research, but I've kind of been stuck learning about a whole bunch of stuff. I know you guys have talked about Agenda 21 a bit on your show. Anyway, this council had some really interesting members on it. It included cabinet-level officers from, like, the EPA were – um, Carol Broner was on it, who's now back in the Obama administration. You had HUD, Commerce, USDA represented. You had education, transportation, um, and you had a lot of representatives from industry, like from Dow, S.C. Johnson, General Motors, BP Amico. Oh, and you also had Ken Lay from Enron fame. <laughs> Now, when I hear something like that, I, that's like a big red flag to me. I mean, I, I'm in California where Enron gamed our electricity and just bamboozled us for billions and billions of dollars and then got off when the Terminator was was put into office and found penny for the dollar. But you know, if, if he's somewhere, something's just not smelling good to me. Anyway, he also had executives from environmental groups, that had all have extensive United Nations ties. And interestingly, one of their meetings was moderated by the Keystone Center. And I don't know if, if you've read uh, one of my articles, History Hassett and the Food Safety Con Job. I talk a bit about Keystone because it's a real establishment think tank with representatives um, on their board from Coca-Cola, Monsanto, DuPont. General Electric, Dow, and, of course, the Rockefeller Foundation. It seems to be everywhere. 
anyway, they all are brought together to pretty much decide what um, action strategy the U.S. is going to follow on sustainable development to get domestic programs here in line with the United Nations Agenda 21. Um, now, the hard this is all in soft law right now, um, but the hard law treaty for Agenda 21 is still in the works. It's, um, it's currently in its fourth edition. Uh, it's quite a hefty, uh, hefty document, and it's called, if anybody want, wants to look it up, it's called the Draft International Covenant on Environment and Development. So, Can, would you repeat that? Talking please? about standardizing food and harmonizing it with international. It's part of something much larger of things that are being harmonized. And we're, we're certainly, when we're talking in Congress, we're not putting this in its proper context. And we're, I'm certainly never hearing anybody in the mainstream media addressing these issues, Agenda 21 and, and so on, certainly not the covenant. Nicole, <laughs> would you repeat the name of that document again? Um, it's known as Draft International Covenant on Environment and Development. Okay. Okay. All right. Isn't it amazing as you get to digging through this stuff? You you think you're looking for one thing, and you end up going different directions and stumbling across some Mm -hmm. of the the most egregious material. And it's put out by our government. It's put out by congressmen. It's put out by people in other countries who seem to have some kind of hand in what happens here in this country in agriculture. Uh, the idea, one of the things that I, I am just adamant about is getting out of the World Trade Organization. The idea that S510 in its final um, uh, Section 404, yeah, uh, yeah. compliance with international agreements. Uh, since when do we are we subjected to international agreements? And as I've tried to explain to people many times, an executive trade agreement is not the same thing as a U.S. treaty. We the, uh, U.S. treaties are approved by three-quarters of the Senate after the, being taken yeah. to the states. And those are the supreme law of the land. Once they are adopted by the states, that's, that's the law. But executive agreements, trade agreements, which all of this is, GATT, NAFTA, CAFTA, all of this crap, are corporate agreements between the president stepping out of the office as president and into the office as chief economic or executive officer of the corporation known as the United States and entering into a contract with another corporate entity, which can be another government and many times is. This is not the law of the land. And uh, I, I... I'm getting really tired of hearing other countries sticking their noses into our business. And what's wrong with our Congress, Nicole? This isn't even. Yeah, what's wrong with our Congress? Well, they're supposed to. They seem to be asleep here. Uh, But you know, back to this Presidential Council on Sustainable Development, because they, in their very first report that they put out, they, they came up with a lot of recommendations that what uh, the administration should do. And one of the first, in, in Chapter 2 of the first report they came out with, they recommend that the U.S. food standards get harmonized with the international standards, which means 
um, what, what Codex had just uh, adopted, we should be adopting. Uh, it wasn't long after this recommendation was made that you find Michael Taylor, who had just left the FDA where he was setting policies allowing GMOs to be unleashed on the public without any, any health safety testing or any labeling. He was brought over to the USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service where he set out to impose HACCP on raw food processing in the meat and poultry industry and, and later in the seafood and in the juice industry. And, of course, this has led to a, you know, a lot of small and medium processors going out of business, which I've talked a lot about in articles. But you've got a chain of events here that we can look at and go, oh, this is this is at least why it's happening, um, and you don't see them discussing any of this. Uh, none of the proponents are talking about the the importance of the harmonization elements. Um, however, um, Carolyn Smith DeWall, who is in food safety director at a make, um, Center for Science in the Public Interest, which is one of spearheading one of the groups spearheading. Make Our Food Safe Coalition. She's a delegate to Codex. It's not like she doesn't know this stuff, but they're not talking about it. Are we not supposed to know? <laughs> it's very disturbing. Well, what we have here well, is, is a, super a supranational institution yes. determining for the United States how its regulators are going to set policy. There's nothing really wrong with that. In my opinion, <laughs> I I don't understand how these people can engage in activities that undermine our sovereignty and not be charged with treason. Mm-hmm. How does a codex committee meet in the capital of our country and plot and plan on how to usurp our sovereignty and our laws? And everybody thinks it's just fine. I I don't get that. Um, it, it just it boggles my mind that this goes on, but we have senators and we have representatives in, that continually meet with foreign investors, foreign governments, uh, foreign corporations, and who contract with them, who facilitate their entry into the country, who ease the way for them, who enter into agreements with them. I, I, I'm sorry, I consider all these things treason and why this is allowed to go on and and one of the things i want to bring up is is something you just said here a few minutes ago nicole and that was the media blackout on all of this and the idea that the national news they'll report on lindsey lohan's latest rehab fiasco they won't say a word about codex and they won't say a word uh, you hear very little about s510 at all if you hear anything um, they'll report on, you know, somebody seeing a UFO, but they don't report <laughs> on this corporate coup, you know, uh, coming in agriculture. I, I'm I'm afraid for the farmers and ranchers, I really am, and the produce growers, because these people are on their way out. And many of them have been suckered into thinking that these various organizations that call themselves consumer advocates um, – are representing them and speaking for them and helping them, and in many instances, their controlled opposition. And yeah, where do you see all this 
see all this going. I'll say it in just a second, but there's one other thing. One of one of the things to supposedly help farmers and um, you know get a greater share of of the dollar, of the agriculture dollar, has been to encourage them to produce value-added items. And all the ones who are going to be produ- who have adopted that and are, are producing value-added, they're processing, they're doing something. They're going. That's all going to fall under. They're going to be caught up in this mess. So, <laughs> value added. Hmm. Well, if what you is were value to, added? If you if you start if you're making if you're taking your your crop and doing something more with it in order and and, and having a better finished product, you know that can that can that uh, that can get you swept up in some of this. Um, you know, what is how come we don't apply these same rules to anything else? I, I had just put up an article this evening on PPJ to the effect that, that these multinational corporations in any other field can do whatever the hell they want. They, and if you say anything, why well, you just you, you're, you hate capitalism and you're against free trade. Free trade, as it's practiced in the United States, is not capitalism. It's raping and pillaging. And the idea that we would stifle capitalism in favor of free trade makes me sick. I I just don't understand what people think is going to happen to this food supply. Uh, we've already got kids that are sick with diabetes. We, You know, at very early ages, we have girls going into puberty more so than boys, at a very early age as a result of growth hormones in the milk. We have, uh, these kids are full of chemicals and toxins, and this bill is going to increase that. We will not be able to eat anything that isn't toxic waste. You know what they're doing, and I'm I'm seeing this, and I'm I'm looking here, and I looked up that um, document, and I saved it um, if anybody wants if anybody wants it, I'll be more than happy to post it, um, that you had mentioned, and it was the, um, the draft International Covenant on Environment and Development. If we look through these codex documents, I, I mean the World um, Trade Organization and the FAO and the um, WHO and all these documents that they've got going on here, and then we take a look at the wording in these bills that they're trying to push and have pushed, we find a haunting similarity between those wordings, and I don't think that that is um, a coincidence. Um, If you look at the Obamacare, and that's supposed to be focused on diet, physical activity, and health. Well, if you go over to the WHO site and pull up a document called WHOGS, the Global Strategy on Diet, Physical Activity, and Health. Now, that was in May of 2004. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, when did we get Obamacare? If you look at that document and you look at portions of Obamacare, it's exactly the same darn thing. Well, you know that clause about the food allergies? Uh, that's included in 
510, uh, Dr. Coburn called it out as saying it, it had no business in this bill. Well, it had bothered me for a long time why that was in there, you know, the first time I read it. And I just, I finally found um, a, uh, something in the WHO, at, on the uh, WHO website, mm-hmm. that was directing just that sort of program to give grants to schools so that they could, you know, this is a WHO program. This isn't coming from someone here in the United States saying, oh, that would be a great idea. This is, this is coming down from the new top. The new top is the United Nations. They're preparing it to be uh, the governing body. It's, it's directing. And, Nicole, our, our isn't Michael Taylor the former Monsanto hack and now food czar? Isn't he supposed to be the liaison between the World Health Organization, the World Trade Organization, and the U.S.? Isn't that basically what his um, function is? I don't know about the World Health Organization. I know he he's working to harmonize. I mean, he's stated publicly he's set to harmonize our our produce standards with Codex. But I don't know. His wife is part of it too, breaking. isn't it? I think his wife's part of it. I read his somewhere. Wife, his wife was at one point. Yes. Yes. I I read working on, on. I don't on know if it was then or, or might will be, but. Is she been in the um, setting, helping to set the standards for the yeah, nutrients? Yeah, it's, it's um, a kind of weird down. thing. It's looking as, at vitamins as though they were toxins and setting maximum uh, allowances for them. You can't have more, and, 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 and the amount seems to people who are knowledgeable about this to be having no therapeutic value. <laughs> but, but, you know. They were going to control that. They're going to try to control that too. You know, what's, what's interesting, if you look at the, net, the this network of vested interests, you know, behind our banks, behind Big Pharma, behind Ag, behind the chemicals, um, you know, they're the same. They have a lot to do with, you know, funding the United Nations and shaping it. Uh, and you find the same folks behind the Council on Foreign Relations. Um, and one of the, the most influential global strategists who worked at the Council on Foreign Relations, as well as the United Nations, as a senior advisor to um, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., was, was Richard Gardner. And um, he wrote a, a really important um, article back in 1974, which I think is really, really pertinent to what we're dealing with here. Uh, his article was called um, The Hard Road to World Order. And he advances this strategy of building a world government by using something he calls functionalism. And functionalism is basically shifting the responsibility for resolving various problems from the nation state to international bodies. So it kind of, in a, in a, in, by stealth, he's found a way to intentionally reduce the role of national government and giving giving it over in, in a function of a national government to an international agency, a body. And now his, his the audience he was writing for was certainly familiar and approving of the idea of building a world government, but he cautions in this article that it wasn't going to work if you if you was like giving it a, a frontal, if you were approaching it as a frontal assault, you had to kind of go along the back, do a um, 
kind of do an end run around it. Uh, but he, he said that it could be done if you do an end run around it, around national sovereignty, and take it away piece by piece. And I think uh, food standards like HACCP are just are one of those pieces. That's what it's that's what it's really good for. I agree. And um, I agree totally. Now this the idea didn't originate with Gardner. It was actually something that um, was developed and advanced by a guy named David Matrani um, back in the 1940s. So this has been around for a while. <laughs> uh, he was he was working and publishing with uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which is the British counterpart to the Council on Foreign Relations. So uh, Gardner pretty much picked up his ideas and um, refurbished them a little bit and got people more on that track. And I, I, I think we can see it all around us in banking laws or, or here this, with the food safety laws. It's, it's happening. And there's one particular phrase in that, um, in that S510, which it, it just lays it out bare. That, that that says that it's basically, you know, we're going to comply with um, these international agreements. Yeah, that, that Section 404 that Marty mentioned, um, it's nothing in this Act or any amendment made by the Act would be construed in a manner inconsistent with the agreement established, establishing the World Trade Organization or any other treaty or international agreement to which the United States is a party. And I think that's probably one of the most important clauses in the bill because it, in my mind, it pro provides this legislative cover for the unconstitutional act of surrendering our sovereignty in, in, in the functional area of food standards. And we're giving it away to an unaccountable, and unelected bureaucrats at a, in a supranational agency that, that's being ready to govern all, all the signatory members. It's... Um, like Marty said, when I went to school, we would have looked at this as an act of treason. And these days, you know, kids are actually learning in school that oh, the Constitution that was made a long time ago by some old men, and it, it doesn't really have much meaning anymore. Well, I guess I had missed that class. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I missed that class. Yeah, they're also learning well, and that's that, a problem, um, too. Go ahead, Barb. Well, I was just saying that um, they're also learning what they're teaching them in school is that genetically modified organisms are the same as um, natural plants. There's really no difference. We're just hastening the process a little bit. That's exactly what they're teaching them in school. So they're programming all these kids for all this stuff, for the World Trade Organization, for the United Nations is, you know, the guys that we got to be looking to for salvation, um, genetically modified, the scientists are going to save us with genetically modified food and it isn't any different. I'm waiting because I'll bet you, I will just bet you dollars to donuts that we're going to see a push for genetically modified garbage to be classified as organic. Well, there's no doubt about that. That's where they're where they're going to head yeah. with it because uh, this GMO has spread everywhere. Uh, they can't contain it. There was never any attempt to control it. No, nothing was ever done uh, to consider the idea that this stuff would spread like wildfire. That through wind drift, bird droppings, whatever happened, 
it would move through the environment. And now they're finding it. And, and I saw that article recently where they claimed that uh, GMO occurred naturally in the wild. Well, it wouldn't have if you hadn't planted it over there in that field. And but they they're trying to make it seem like it's natural. It's to to buy it's natural biodiversity happening. When you talked about the Constitution and the attitude and what they're teaching these kids in school, I had talked with Barb about this previously. I have a couple of granddaughters in, in uh, middle school. And last year, the older of the two called me because in her class, uh, her civics class, her teacher had told them that the um, when she brought up the Constitution herself, after she said they spent a whole hour on it the next day, a whole hour, um, but that her teacher had said it was an old document and it really didn't matter anymore. And then they were given a pop quiz at the end of the week, and one of the questions on that test, or that little pop quiz was, and this was a loaded question. Do you think that global citizenship will be possible in your lifetime? I called her teacher, reamed her out. I said, that was the wrong question. I said, the question was, how do you identify yourself? Who are you? And I said, she tried to fail my granddaughter on the, the uh, quiz because I told her how to answer I said, you tell her you know who you are. You're a citizen in your state on the land. That's who you are. And um, But they're, they're, they are pumping these kids. They're trying to convince them, and they're doing a good job of it, that, that the Constitution hasn't applied for a long time. What are you even talking about? That's an old document. Nobody cares about that. You know, we've moved on. We're global citizens now. I don't want to be a global citizen. Nobody asked me if I want to be a global citizen. Well, no, they're just they're not asking. Well, I made everybody go silent on that one, didn't I? (laughs) 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 But no, but I mean, you're you're absolutely right, and and they're training these kids now to think that this stuff is normal. That that jamming and packing huge numbers of animals into small spaces and pumping them full of vaccines and hormones and antibiotics is normal. And it, that that's the way things are done. And that's what they're teaching at our agricultural universities. That's what they're teaching the kids in high school, that the kids in 4-H, the kids in middle school are being taught biology from the aspect of, of biological intervention with the GMO and the genetic changing Mm -hmm. of of natural life, they're training these kids to believe that this is the way things have always been done. And uh, it it just, it upsets me to no end. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then someone here in the chat room says, Organic Gardening Magazine has been promoting GMOs for close to a year. And they also mentioned that... um, uh, good agricultural practices will require using chlorine rinse as a kill step. Toxic chlorine soaking into your food <laughs> and produce and, uh, is porous and alive, and the material will translocate. I wonder if anybody considered that or thought about that or did anything else when they were trumping up all this crap. Um, tonight, uh, we're going to start taking calls after this next break. Our call-in number is one nine one seven three eight eight four five two zero. 
That's 1-917-388-4520. If you've got any questions for Nicole or any comments you'd like to make, um, we're going to be taking a break here for about four minutes. And uh, go get yourself a cup of coffee and sit back and relax. And in the meantime, we got a little PSA from All Jacked Up. It's called Capo Slaughterhouses. A cow doesn't have to be healthy to be used as a food source. And they pump them full of antibiotics and hormones in order to make them bigger, make them grow. Today, the modern slaughter plants can process four or 5,000 or even more head of animals every day. They can use a cow for food as long as they can basically drag it off the truck. Yeah, it's amazing that in this day and age, an animal is literally dragged to her death. How do they get to that point? How has how an animal yeah, become a, so that's, sick? Yeah, and, that's a good question. And, and that's part of the problem, too, is that they're so mistreated on the factory farms in the case of cows. And they're the number one animals that we see that become downers. They are forced to produce ten times more milk than they would in nature. They are literally milk-producing machines. Mmm, sounds tasty. <laughs> now we're going to move on, and till we come back, here's a little PSA on S510. This is a public service announcement. What's for dinner? Don't worry, our good friends at the FDA want to help. They are ready and willing to make sure that all of your food is safely irradiated, pasteurized, and contains absolutely no nutritional value whatsoever because they are concerned for your health. So the next time you sit down to dinner, be assured that whatever you eat will not benefit you in the least, courtesy of your friendly federal government. This public service announcement is brought to you by farmwars.info. This highly centralized food system is, is, is very vulnerable to contamination, both deliberate and accidental. And that brings me to the public health justification for local food. We've just had uh, a horrifying illustration of the dangers of centralized food. Uh, 200 Americans were seriously sick and three were killed by eating bagged spinach. Um, what does that have to do with local food? Well, that product, there are two senses in which that product is a result of our industrial system. First, that bug, E. coli 0157H7, is a mutation of industrial feedlot agriculture. That's where that bug begins. You do not have that in grass-fed cattle. Second, that bug was able to be spread far and wide because you're taking food, lead, uh, spinach, from many, many farms, and you're washing it literally in a single sink in San Juan Batista, California, and then you're sending it all over the country. This is not to say you couldn't get sick from eating spinach at your farmer's market. But you know what? If you did, nobody would hear about it because it wouldn't be a national story. It would be contained, the food chain. You would know who was responsible. This is what I'm trying to do with you here is, is stand up and speak out and tell the truth about this. These foods are harming us. 
these chemicals don't belong in the food supply. We are being stripped of our health and our happiness. A generation's health is being lost in this country because of what the food companies are doing and what the government regulators refuse to do to protect us. When today's high school students were born, finding a high blood pressure in a high school student was really unusual. It was a disease of middle-aged guys. Finding abnormal cholesterol in a high school student was really unusual. It was a middle-aged condition. Finding abnormal blood sugar was a middle-aged condition, unusual. A waist size over 40 inches was unusual. But you know what? Today, two-thirds of America's high school students already have at least one of those conditions, middle-aged conditions. We've got to take control because no one out there is looking out for your interest or my interest or the interests of, of the public at large. What the hell is the FDA for? Oh, the FDA, come on. The FDA is out there to promote the interest of the companies that, that give it money. One drug that is FDA approved has killed more Americans than the entire Vietnam War. One drug. Every year, 100,000 Americans are killed by FDA approved pharmaceuticals. And that is a statistic from the Journal of the American Medical Association. Who is in charge? The corporations are in charge. That's who. Well, how, how do you fight that? Through grassroots advocacy, through education, by having the courage to stand up and tell the truth and ask these tough questions like what you're asking right now. That's how you fight back. Those clips were brought to you by um, uh, Michael Pollan. Uh, they were clips from his shows and um, also from a site called All Jacked Up, uh, especially at Capo Slaughterhouses. I, I just can't stress enough that should S510 pass, uh, as bad as our food is now and as sick as it is making us now, um, it's going to become far worse. Uh, the the level of disease in this country is rising at such a rate, it's a direct result, not just of, of environmental toxins or whatever, it's directly and most attributable to our diet, to what we are eating and consuming. And most of what is available to us, uh, I, I believe I read the other day, of 78% of all food on grocery shelves is processed and contains GMO. Um, processed foods, of course, are basically food-like products that have been treated with chemicals to make them taste like food. Uh, I, I, this stuff just, it just upsets me. So, Nicole, why would you think, if if you knew this, I mean, and if you know it and I know it and Barb knows it and the people listening know it, if you knew in government that this bill you had put out was going to cause a, a, a tremendous rise in physical disability and physical disease in the population, what kind of person, what kind of morals or ethics would you have to have to promote this? Morals? <laughs> well, that's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> I don't think you'd have to have any at all. I mean, you would that wouldn't no. even play a part in it, okay? I'm just kind of piping on in here, but, you know, we're talking right ethics ahead. and morals to people that are bankrupt. Well, they are, too, yes. 
Um, every time I see um, Harry Reid on the floor of the Senate with his hands folded, peering out from under those glasses, I'm always immediately put in mind of Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs, uh, articulate, myopic, soft-spoken, and deadly. Um, this man, I, I've seen politicians come and go, uh, no spring chicken, of course, over the years, but this man actually frightens me. The calm manner in which he delivers the presentation of these bills that he knows, that he knows are going to cause harm to the public. And yet he does it while looking you dead in the eye, and he never blinks, never blinks. Um, with those hands folded, I could just smack him. I, It just... I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. Nicole, I have been looking back at at an article you had written back when H.R. um, 875 came out, Deloro's Mm -hmm. bill. Um, uh, You had had listed in here some questions of who crafted the legislation and what did they hope to gain by it. Would it really make our food safer as it claims? And would it make mandatory the industrial agricultural practices that are the root cause of the foodborne illness it claims to vanquish. Now, you asked these questions a year and a half ago, and here we are faced with S510 having to ask the same questions again. And what I don't understand is after the outrage over the passage of H.R. 2749 in the House, which was the forerunner to S510, why anyone with the public so aware of what this was, why would anybody keep supporting these same tenants? Um, I, I well, the trust, you, know, the you public, have to hear the trust. The public Go is ahead. certainly becoming more aware, um, and they mm-hmm. have been vocal. And you you can see them talking about it on blogs, and there's a, a, a much higher awareness. Uh, some, but you do still you're still confronted with uh, the mainstream media that won't address certain issues at all. Uh, you're, you're confronted with the advocacy groups associated uh, with Make Our Food Safe and, you know, the deep pockets of the Pew uh, Charitable Fund, uh, what is that called, um, you know, the Pew Foundation and the Robert Wood Johnson's Trust for America's Health. They have, you know, really funded a, a lot of, um, let's say, surveys, and then they write report, commission reports saying $152 billion is uh, it, costing, you know, Americans $152 billion a year for the foodborne illness, which is just a, a, it's really a, they they have very deep pockets that can keep bringing these articles out and trying to, you know, people who don't look further than uh, their television or the newspaper for their news uh, go, oh, yeah, we need food safety bills. Um, the saddest thing to me, though, is when you have the groups um, that represent victims of foodborne illnesses and, and the moms. Now, I really I identify with those moms. I would just, you know, if something happened to one of my kids, I, I just I, I totally identify with them, but what I don't do is 
accept without any critical analysis what uh, the FDA says is going to be the solution. Um, it's it's ironic that you know there, there's a there's a, a woman who's uh, speaking on a, a panel of folks at Grist Magazine, uh, and her daughter had been affected. And she says, well, we really need more testing. We need these things that this bill offers. And well, you know, you know, to, to, one of one of the points Sperber makes is that, um, you know, HACCP was invented in because te- product testing didn't work. When you when you test product, one 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 is very expensive, but it's really ineffective because you never you're never going to test enough of the product to have a, a large statistical a statistically large enough sampling to know that it's really safe. So you're you're going back to the, we're really with this fake HACCP, we're going back to the pre HACCP days. It's 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 total insanity if if you really look into it. Um but people just keep repeating these things, and they they accept them uncritically, and it's that that kind of stuff frightens me when I, when I hear it. You um, mentioned in this article you you spoke about um, Michael Taylor, and I think uh, for those listening uh, that may not be aware of who Mr. Taylor is and who he's connected to and how he got to where he is, um, could you would you want to expound a little bit on who this man is and why we need to be afraid that he's sitting in the White House? Well, you know, he he started, I believe, as a a lawyer with the FDA. He's he's worked uh, with King and Spalding for many years, um, which is a I hadn't thought about. And I can. He he. Um, oh gosh. He's been working as when he was at King and Spalding. He he organized a whole bunch of lawyers on food issues um, and then he would go in and work at the FDA for a while cause the havoc there at the uh, or the USDA then he'd bounce back out um, and he's really the poster boy for the revolving door going in and out of government and at one point after he left he became um, vice president of public policy at Monsanto which he, who, for whom he had worked as a lawyer when he was at King and Spalding. Um, so he, he continually, you know, he has so many deep connections, and they should they should be, you know, conflicts of interest that preclude him from doing what he is doing in government, in my opinion. Um, and after he left uh, Monsanto, he started to work as uh, a senior fellow at a various um, – think tanks that um, I think we're losing well, he's her. going to have a whole heck yeah, we, he's going to have a whole lot of company he's going to have a whole lot of company yeah. because 10 out of the 15 um, people that Monsanto bribed, oh, excuse me, gave donations to, uh, made their way uh, into Congress. So I've got the money trail up right here looking at it, and it seems like it's on 
just almost evenly split between the Democrats and the Republicans in the House and the Senate. And uh, I've got, I've, you know, I've got this list, and the article is up um, on Farm Wars. If somebody wants to go click that link and see who is a Monsanto shill, and uh, the title of the article is The Results Are In, Monsanto Wins Elections by a Landslide. Um, and that's on farmwars.info. Uh, girls, we've got a caller from the 828 area. Um, area code. Um, hello, you're on the air. Uh, hi, this is Harry Hamill. Hi, Harry Hamill. How you doing? <laughs> this is I'm Marty. doing very well. I'm enjoying <laughs> Thank you for the, calling in. I'm glad you did. Well, and um, what would you like to add to this? <laughs> well, first, I'd I'd like to go back to a question that that uh, one of you asked um, about why people can still think that this bill could do any good. Um, And my answer is real simple. Um, The supporters of this bill, the Make Our Food Safe Coalition's members, it's important to remember, are the Consumers Union, the American uh, Public Health Association, uh, the Trust for America's Health, the Pew Charitable Trust, uh, Safe Tables Our Priorities, Consumer Federation of America, Center for Science and the Public Interest. Um, and they've also got people outside of the group, like the U.S. Public Interest Research Group, who are also putting out their material. And they have shown little hesitancy, if any, uh, to um, not mislead people. They have put out things that are just absolutely, positively not true. Uh, and so people have been misled by this type of in- information. But in addition to that, uh, when the issues do get raised, uh, for example, there's a discussion going on right now on Grist, um, uh, their, that magazine, about this particular um, uh, bill, and they have people who who blog in comments on things like that, and some of those people um, are are putting out absolutely positively false information. I remember um that uh and, and these people even get called on as as participants in uh panels like Grist has put together. Uh, a good example being a young man named Michael Bulger. Bulger. And uh Michael is a master's student uh in food studies at NYU, which means he's in the same program that Marion Nessel is the most famous professor in. And um, he has put out uh, so many misleading things that it's kind of mind-boggling. And it's it's to the point where I, I really wonder if he's acting like a troll because he distracts people from things. He doesn't respond to uh, questions um, with accurate answers. He skips points that are made by people. And this is going on all over the web. So... Good, well-meaning people have been getting a lot of false information. This is a tactic. Well, Harry, don't you find it uh, that, that this happens continually? I know on the PPJ, Farm Wars has suffered the same thing. We've got other sites, too. Uh, these people routinely appear, and they they appear for the specific reason of either derailing 
the the legitimate conversation or they attack the people posting or they intentionally as you said put out misleading and sometimes outright dishonest information and i do agree with you these people are plants they are they are sent out there to troll the web and to disrupt the conversation everywhere that it occurs. We've bounced many of them off the PPJ, blacklisted them uh, for showing up. We we encourage dialogue. Um, I won't tolerate that. Uh, you and I had uh, had some uh, back and forth there earlier today and, and yesterday, and you, you advocate going after S-510 on the federal level I, I, of course, advocate going after it on the state level and stopping it from coming into your state to begin with. And can you tell us a little bit, between you and Nicole and everybody, what you're doing on the federal level um, to fight back against this? I write articles. I blow my mouth off. But uh, what else can people do to stop this on the federal level? Well, thank you, Marty. Um, what um, what we have is a very interesting um uh, confluence of things at the federal level where for the first time in the debate on food safety legislation, and that includes the House bill and the Senate bill, for the very first time we have the chance to actually defeat it. Um, the Senate doesn't work like the House. In the House, um, Nancy Pelosi and other leaders of the Democratic Party got behind the bill and forced it through without any Debate. I mean, there literally was 30 minutes of debate on it. So there never was the opportunity for our side to really um, exercise what was available. There were uh, two representatives, Captor and Farr, who tried hard, but they just couldn't get anywhere. In the Senate, it doesn't work that way. And what's happened is that Senator Tom Coburn um, articulately took on Senator Richard Durbin, who is the original sponsor of S-510, on September the 23rd in the well of the of the Senate. And they, you know, duked it out. And uh, Senator Coburn was uh, again and again came back and said, if we really want to make a difference in food safety, we need to hold our regulators, the FDA and the FSIS, uh, responsible for their own performance because the uh, egg recall, which he cited, is a good example of the FDA not doing its job. It's had the authority for 20 years to inspect Wright County eggs, and it never did. It put in a new rule exactly like the type of rule that is going to be forced in with S-510 and didn't enforce it. Still didn't invest, despite the fact that obviously the owners were scofflaws. They had broken regulation after regulation after regulation. And so then when it blew up, they said, oh, gosh, if we had just had our regulation in time. Well, excuse me, over 200 million of the eggs were produced under that regulation. So the failure of the FDA to perform its duty uh, is our number one problem in terms of food safety. So this bill, as Senator Coburn pointed out, is just writing another law. 
And the problem with writing another law is that you don't address what you you don't control what you really can, which is oversight and what needs to be controlled. And number two, within these new laws, there are all these things that we don't see at first, and lo and behold, they come out and they bite us really, really hard, and they get used against, uh, particularly against small uh, producers. So we are at a point because they have what is called cloture, and in the Senate, if you can't get 60 votes, not 51, but 60 votes to stop debate, then debate can go on forever, the old filibuster. We don't ever see filibusters anymore because once it's clear that a filibuster is possible and somebody's willing to do it, they don't waste their time by having it done. They move on to other things. So you take a supermajority to get through, which means that we tend to have things that come through with a larger number of people supporting. You can't do the kind of twisting. Well, what we have is a bill that was truly developed on a bipartisan basis. The problem is both sides got snookered. You know, they got hoodwinked. And so we have this terrible bill. And there are seven Republican co-sponsors to it as well as 13 Democratic co-sponsors. But it can still be stopped because this, the, of what Senator Coburn did on September the 23rd, they had to, inf, uh, to have a vote for cloture. That vote will occur this Wednesday, the 17th. And if we can get 40 people to vote, 41 people to vote against it, then we can stop it. Well, there are 41 Republicans in the Senate. There may be 42 if they seat the person who is replacing Barack Obama from Illinois. There's a little debate about whether or not that will occur. And then there's Senator Lieberman, who is an independent and has frequently voted um, on the conservative side in these things. So if the Republicans stick together, they can win this vote. And the bill will die. We will have completely, totally won, and it, they will have to start again in the 112th uh, Congress. Now, how do you do that? Well, step number one is you call or fax Senator Mitch McConnell, who is the Republican leader in the Senate. He is the senator from the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and his uh, you look up him like you do all senators with his last name dot senate dot gov, and you can call any of his offices. Even better would be a fax to one of his offices because they have to keep a record, as Marty pointed out to me today, of that fax. Uh, and you say, please support Senator Coburn's efforts to stop this bill and vote against cloture and organize the Republicans to do so. Step number two. Do the same thing in terms of calling Senator Coburn. Thank him for his efforts to improve the bill and to improve the, the regulation of food so that we can have truly safe food in this country, and ask him to rally his fellow uh, Republican senators to vote no on cloture. The third thing you can do is call anyone you know in the Commonwealth of Kentucky and ask them to go back and do what you did with Senator McConnell because 
calls from his constituents are definitely more important than um, calls from you or me who are not in his state. Last and far from least, um, there are groups around the country, just like the supporters of PPJ and farm wars and this sort of thing, groups of people, blogs, this sorts of thing, where people can who are, who are actively participating can go on and blog and raise alerts. There's things like the Campaign for Liberty, uh, the Tea Party Patriots. You know, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of these organizations. Well, very few of these organizations are really up to snuff on this bill, but some are coming up. Uh, now, the Campaign for Liberty, for example, has got uh, one of its members who cares very much about local food and is now raising the issue. Um, the Tea Party Patriots had, for the first time in, in quite a while, they had a blog yesterday that was raising the issue. And I think one of uh, a couple of them have quoted yours, uh, Marty. Have you looked at Open Congress and seen that? Yes, yes. Yeah, so, they've uh, several of my articles have been picked up by, by the Tea Party and uh, uh, by several other blogs, which I don't mind a bit as long as the the news gets out there. Um, I, you know, I just we we talked about cynicism and and hope, Harry, and and I am a very cynical person, having been involved uh, as an outsider in politics for more than twenty years. Um, and I've seen a lot of dirty, rotten deals go down. And more than anything, I hope that this pushback against this bill is successful. Uh, if if you people out there listening don't understand what's at stake here, no nation has ever survived when it lost control or forfeited control of its independent agricultural sector. When your farmers and ranchers go, so goes your sovereignty, so goes your independence, and you are now subject, you're just vulnerable, and the vultures come in and land. We've seen this happen over and over and over again. One of the things um, that just absolutely frightened me to death this last week was I came across an article, it was put out by uh, the National Grain uh, Association, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of the USDA, it runs under the Credit Commodity Corporation. Um, they sold our strategic grain reserve in 2008. They said they gave it for it was given for humanitarian aid. That doesn't mean they didn't sell it. But the way they they put it out is that you know we gave it to hungry people. Yeah, you did at a price. But the point is, they sold off our strategic grain reserve in the middle 1980s. The USDA gave out all those commodities, um, and people just raised hell about it, but they were aging, and so they had to be gotten rid of. But the USDA never replenished those, and, of course, this USDA isn't about to. So we have no strategic grain reserves. We have no commodity backup, and we have a bill that is focused on trade and export as opposed to supporting our farmers and our ranchers, our rural communities, bolstering this part of our economy, shutting down this importing of contaminated junk from countries like China. And, Harry, you brought something up about the uh, Wright County uh, egg farm. 
while the USDA, FDA, through their machinations with various state agencies, and Wisconsin is just such a prime example, has been raiding family farms. They've been been storming onto private property without proper warrants, without due cause, without complaint, claiming there is a problem. They are holding families at gunpoint. They are interfering with the lawful business of these people. They are destroying private property, seizing private property, and basically putting these people out of business. Now, this is what our government is doing to our own citizens. Yet China can repeatedly send one contaminated product after another into this country, and neither USDA, who is supposed to inspect all imported containers and inspects less than 1%, is so busy harassing and terrorizing our farmers and ranchers, they can't inspect. Yet China is never penalized or punished. Uh, The trade is never halted or impeded. There's no sanctions put against them. But they're going after dairy farmers in Wisconsin claiming that fresh milk is harming people. I wish they would pay as much attention to China, but when you read through this bill, what you see is a reiteration of these practices, and what you see is this targeting of independent and family uh, agriculture, and the end result, if you look back at the GATT Treaty, is to eradicate everything around the world other than industrial corporate agriculture. And what that means to you and me is a food supply that would be more toxic uh, than anything you can imagine. We're approaching that point now. So I, I hope everybody that's listening, you'll, you'll pay attention to what Harry said about making calls to Mitch McConnell, um, sending an email, making a call to Senator Coburn and encouraging him to hold the line there, uh, do whatever we have to do. This has got to be stopped. And uh, Nicole, are you still with us? I'm still here. <laughs> We've been chatter- still here. chattering on. Did you have anything you wanted to put in here? Oh, lots of things keep crossing my mind, but no, not right this second. <laughs> hey, Marty, okay. do you have that? Um, we still got that. That um, who is it? That McGraw guy who's head of Wisconsin because. You know, when I went there and I found out what, it's coming at us from all angles, and when I, I went to that site and I found out exactly what um, the, the, this um, premises registration requires, premises ID, and who falls under this, I was just totally flabbergasted. I mean, yeah, I cannot uh, believe the absolute control. Well, and, and that's the thing, and if people want to know what S510 is going to bring to your state, just take a good look at Wisconsin. They're in full police state mode. We'll run this little PSA on McGraw and uh, uh, what he's up to and take a little break here, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. This week's PPJ Gazette Jackass Award goes to Dr. McGraw, head of Wisconsin's Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection, or DATCP. Dr. McGraw wants the residents of Wisconsin to register any location in which livestock is kept. Livestock includes cattle and other bovine Um, animals, swine, poultry, sheep, goats, horses, and other equine animals, farm-raised deer and other cervids, 
game birds, including pheasants, quail, wild turkeys, migrating waterfowl, pigeons, and exotic birds raised in captivity, bison, llamas, emus, ostriches, and fish. Evidently, this is supposed to ensure that Grandma's pet goldfish doesn't run amuck and unleash a dreaded disease on the state of Wisconsin. And if a gaggle of migrating geese takes a dip in your pond before heading south for winter, be prepared for a knock on the door by the Wisconsin DATCP Enforcement Division. Yes, Dr. McGraw, for incredibly invasive policies and police state tactics, you deserve this week's PPJ Gazette Jackass Award. Don't be caught unprepared for that inevitable knock on the door. Who is it? Open up. What do you want? This is the Wisconsin DATCP. You are in violation of Wisconsin law by harboring livestock on your property. We have reports that you have a fish and parrot in your house. Barney, quick. I go to the fish and your parrot, Hildy. It's the premises I see, people. I told you when you got them, they'd be after us, and now they are. What are we going to do now? They're going to make us register for our premises ID. This public service announcement is brought to you by FarmWars.info. You need to get your accordion tuned up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I'm, that's an inside joke, folks. <laughs> but Gladys always tears me up every time I hear her. Uh, Harry, uh, are you familiar at all with what's happening in Wisconsin? Yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar. I'm, I'm not terribly familiar with it, but I understand the pattern because what what we we have is that there's this selective enforcement. You know, down in Georgia, uh, there was a raw milk group that um, what organized a truck that would drive every week to uh, buy legal raw milk in the state of South Carolina from an approved inspected facility, you know, uh, uh, dairy. And then they would bring it over to Atlanta and disperse it at a given spot at a given time. Um, And what happened was one day uh, the Department of Agriculture of the state of Georgia showed up. And they seized all of the milk, even though it was a completely, totally legal product that had been produced, and forced these people to pour all of that milk out. Thousands of dollars of milk was poured out. And that's what led to the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund's lawsuit against uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services Kathleen Sebelius on the issue of raw milk. But these things happen, but you don't read about them on the the front page of the paper. Let me bring it home a different way, okay? Um, I personally know the retaliatory power of of government. Uh, 
because for my entire adult life, I have done the kind of things that you do, Marty, and I'm two years older than you are. And um, again and again, I'd be you know, slapped in the face about this or that or something or other, but it, it wasn't terribly right. But then, all right, when um, I crossed um, the FEMA people about the flood mapping program that was doing in my, my town, all right, there was retaliation against me. When I, when I pointed out that um, there was a problem in our, our building uh, uh, rules uh, associated with what is called the primary fire district, and um, when I showed exactly how it worked in this sort of thing, instead of fixing the problem, they retaliated against me and my wife. The result is that it's cost us literally tens of thousands of dollars. And our neighbors watched it happen, just like people are watching things happen in Wisconsin. And I I say this very gently, just like people watch things happen as the Nazis developed their power in the 30s in Germany. We have too many people who are willing to sit quietly by because they have said, I'm not powerful enough to make any difference. And they don't do what they can do. So we need people to act. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, at, the thing is, it, it's not a big thing. You know, doing something yourself doesn't have to be a big thing, a huge thing. It can be one step. It can be, you know, if we have a, a thousand people just decide that they're going to um, start to grow a garden or they're going to grow a, a tomato plant in their window and they're not going to use this GMO stuff or they're going to, you know, make a mass. It, can, it turns out one little step starts, you know, building and building and building until you've got all these people just doing one little thing. So it's not one person doing it all, doing a huge amount of things and, oh, Harry Reid saves the world or, you know, that kind of thing. Because that doesn't happen because one person doesn't do that. One person does what they can and then that goes on to another person. It goes on to another and another and another and it builds exponentially. Paul here in the uh, chat room has, has he, and Harry, he's from Shady Knoll Farms in Wisconsin, and he so, says these uh, seizures and raids are being done to desensitize the public, and and I I believe that actually is more true than most of us would like to believe. Uh, we see things happening on, on TV. We see you know, cop shows showing them being just absolutely brutal. And people come to accept it, they become desensitized to it. And when we see people being raided and their neighbors stand around and don't jump to their defense, and when the sheriff um, in the Vernon Hershberger case there in, in Wisconsin, they have it on video, and he points out to the sheriff uh, who accompanied that cat SWAT teams onto this man's property with an unlawful warrant um, that... It was void on its face. It had no complaint or oath of affirmation attached to it. And it was a Xerox copy. It didn't have a wedding signature. When he points out to the sheriff, he says, this thing isn't even legal. The sheriff looks at him and says, we don't care. Mm. And and this is this is 
where this is going, and this is where this bill is going to take all of us. Wisconsin is the test state. You've got Herb Cole, Senator Herb Cole up there, who I think is a truly evil man. Uh, he's a Democrat, been there a long time. Um, he set up that meeting with Tom Vilsack and uh, Undersecretary Megan back in March, and you could tell this whole thing was planned and canned and rehearsed, and uh, they had answers, uh, detailed answers to the point of which unless you had rehearsed this and had notes in front of you, you couldn't possibly have given. But she gleefully announced that this was the new age of enforcement. Um, I want to know why USDA and FDA is spending fully 70% of their budgets on enforcing unconstitutional laws. And when you have to engage in enforcement, what you are doing is forcing someone to comply with something that violates their rights. That's what enforcement is. And so S510 is going to throw this clear across the state. Um, Harry, as you and I talked about, Nicole and Barb, uh, we've talked about this, about this provision. Uh, oh, and then Paul says Herb Cole's staffer's husband is on the DATCAP Citizens Board. Imagine that. Um, but... Uh, I lost my total train of thought there. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> Marty May, I'm, I'm going to hang up because I hope that someone else will call in and tell us their own okay. story. And uh, I so very much right. appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Harry. Yeah. Well then. You know, Marty, you wrote an article Oops. and basically saying that this is this um, in order for this S510 in the event if it did go through, it would still have to go by the states. And the states would then have to um, do the implementation or the darn thing's going to fall flat on its face. And, and kind of like the last um, bastion then would be um, states refusing to do this. Is, is that correct? Did I get that right? Well, what it is is that I, that's what I was going to say. Was in There's that one section in there that where the secretary, and as Harry had pointed out to me today, the secretary in this instance is Sebelius at Health and Human Services, not Vilsack at USDA, um, is ordered through this bill to go to the governor of every state and find out from the governor and get the governor's approval for which agency in the state will contract with the USDA, FDA, all these federal corporate agencies, and, and as I've told you many times before, everything from your, your governor's office to this, your state itself, everything down to your local swimming pool and library is a privately owned corporation operating for profit, and their only fiduciary duty is to make a profit, and they are bound by contract law. They are not bound by the U.S. Constitution or even your state constitution, and so they have to come in. The only way USDA, FDA, any of them can get in your state is if your governor throws the door open and says, "Come on in." And they they can't they can't get past the governor if he says no. That's all there is to it, no. And if he refuses to appoint any agencies, they cannot, of their own volition, come into the state and contract with these agencies. And this is basically, this is what it is. It's corporate contracting. At the point they come into your state, 
It is no longer referred to as a law or a rule or regulation. It is now referred to as what it is, which is a corporate business plan. That plan is that's laid out in the memorandum of understanding between the federal agency and the state agency, each of them saying what they expect and what they'll give, what they'll take. Then comes the cooperative agreement, which is the actual formal contract where the federal agency is allowed to come in and take over. And then it's followed up because it has to be under the Unfunded Mandates Act. Um, It has to be followed up with bags of what they call corporate uh, cooperative funding, which you and I would more commonly know as bribery. And once they're in your state, uh, then they're the law of the land, basically, because they're running everything, and they simply, like they have in Wisconsin, move through the legislature or or through the um, agricultural agency, and they implement their business plan. The agency goes out and acts like Gestapo. They now have the federal government behind them, and we have seen it, like I say, if you watch that Hershberger video, the attitude of these people is absolutely astonishing. Uh, the arrogance and the idea that they're doing this and they know when they entered this man's land and when they entered his home and when they destroyed his product and when they upset his family, they were violating not only his federal constitutional rights, but his state constitutional rights. And yet the legislature in Wisconsin sits quietly and says nothing, and I know for a fact that they know because they've been called and informed firsthand of what's going on. Uh, They don't do anything. And S510, so if you want to know what this is going to bring us, what this is going to do to food and its availability and, and the way it's produced and what it contains, take a look at Wisconsin. They've run more family farms out of business up there in the last year than they'll probably see in the next 10. Uh, it, this it just absolutely is, is one of the um, – Paul says this is a return to the ter- territorial governorship. And, they, you know, they've got the U.S. Um, split up into nine regions with nine regional governors. That's the governor's council that Obama talks about. Um, so, and that's in the case of an emergency. Uh, one of the things I brought out in that article today, too, was when every economist and every geopolitical observer is saying we're, we're on the edge of a horrendous food shortage and crisis around the world, why would we, our Congress, be entertaining a bill that was all about exporting what we produce in the way of food. Who in the hell does this? Uh, I think we're being set up for a mass famine here in this country, and I think it's going to get really ugly if this is allowed to pass. Nicole, I have talked. I promise I wouldn't. Oh, my <laughs> But I did. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll shut up, I promise. <laughs> well, you know, I, know there was, I just want like to give relate an, I'd okay. like to relate a little Hello. experience. When I when I first moved here to Oregon from California, the hay, one of the reasons I moved was um I have horses. I love horses. I love them dearly. And the hay was good quality and a lot less expensive and I could support my horses, you know, uh, a little bit better. 
So anyway, when, when I first moved here, I found out something very, very, very important. And that is, I could see hay there for miles around. Everybody was doing hay. This was in 1997. But I couldn't get any. I found out that in winter, all these people belonged to a particular co-op, and they were exporting all their hay. And it was overseas. They had a contract. The co-op had a contract. So a person, a local person, could not go to one of these places and just buy a couple of ton of hay for their horses. They couldn't do it. The hay was there. You couldn't buy it. It was all tagged for export. So I had to actually move my horses back to California just so they could eat and then move back the next year and then contract on my hay on a um, yearly basis. I, would ha- I had to find a grower, contract with him to supply me hay for the year, hold it aside, and that's how, that's how I worked now. Since their um, contract has terminated, evidently, um, something happened, now there is hay available. But I learned a very hard lesson that if all you're doing is exporting and not keeping anything for the local, the locals just die off. Yeah, that's a suicidal national policy for sure. You know, we're missing a great opportunity. Well, I- Never before... In this last century, have have we seen an uptick in in the number of farmers? There is a huge interest in in people. A lot of new farmers entering it, entering the area, and we could really be reestablishing regional food systems. But you have to allow mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. Uh, you can't overburden them before they even begin. And right now, we we're at the point where they need to, um, what is that called, uh, scale up a bit in order, you know, they, they need, you know, they just need the freedom to do that. Um, there was a report I, um, I, I wrote about in my last article on the covert uh, continuation of the enclosure movement that talks about how much money could be moving around local communities and generated by um, local, the local food movement. We could really be doing wonderful things in terms of uh, developing jobs that can't be outsourced, you know, and that and feeding people in in regions healthy food. Uh, we've already got the the state and local regulations in place. Um, they've already considered how these can be tweaked to, to improve the opportunities for entrepreneurs. The last thing we need is. UN generated codex um, well they're standards well they're they're all for the global food system. We don't need that for mm-hmm. local food we need we need we need self determination here you know we need to really stand yeah. up and say, forget that you know <laughs> we have every right to to enter into commerce you can't you shouldn't the business, the government has no business closing us down and stopping us from from conducting business with whom we want. But that is what their argument is. They don't think we have a right. And that um, lawsuit that Harry was mentioning, the FDA is of the opinion that we don't have those rights. It's really outrageous. Uh, You should, you know, your listeners should go to... um, 
the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund and, and take a look, if they haven't, at uh, the response the FDA made uh, to the lawsuit they um, have uh, waged uh, on behalf of, of these milk uh, producers because it, this is our government telling us we don't have the right to make our own decisions about the food we eat? I don't think so. Yeah, I'd like to get there and find find that find that response because it's so arrogant. It's it's them telling us that we aren't intelligent enough to be able to pick our food. Yet they want to be in, um, responsible for that, and the food that they are choosing for us is poison. That's, that's We've exactly got a caller what it on is. from area code three two three. Hello, caller. Hi, this is Debbie Coffee. Hi, Hi Debbie Deb. Coffee. How you doing? <laughs> Great. Um, I, I just wanted to let everyone know. I think Nicole Johnson is one of the best researchers around, and has just been phenomenal in the amount of research she's done. And, well, thank um, you, Debbie. Got to be <laughs> Yeah, and and you know Great. when I was looking at. Um, sorry, I'm calling in a little bit late, Marty. But um, you know, on, on this food bill, Section 404. That's when you have to watch. It's almost a third to the last sentence, and it's compliance with international agreements. Nothing in this act shall be construed in a manner inconsistent with the agreement establishing the World Trade Order, World Trade Organization, or any other treaty or international agreement to which the U.S. is a party. That's a total sellout of the. I mean, no matter what they write in that bill, this is what it is. Yeah. Well, and, and then says, have, uh, uh, Paul put in here too regarding the farm to consumer fund. Um, they failed to make the argument regarding converting a right into a uh, into a privilege or a crime. That's where they lost at. They 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 went after the wrong thing, and instead of uh, arguing the law uh, and the fact that the Supreme Court has ruled many, many times that not, no law can be written which abrogates your rights, mm-hmm. and that means they can't come down the pipe and, and say, well, you can't choose your own food. We have a right to choose our own food. So what they're attempting to do through this legislation, what Farm to Consumer failed to do when they launched their lawsuit, was to argue the fact that this was a right, this was an inalienable right that the government was attempting to convert into a privilege, and if you didn't opt the privilege, now you're guilty of a crime. And you cannot criminalize what was an inalienable right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, if it had been argued on that level, they most likely would have won, but they failed well, to do I, that. It has, they haven't lost yet, to my understanding. It, it, this is what the FDA came back and said. Uh, and it, mm-hmm. I think it, it really was surprising. And they also cited their authority to um, – they actually cited – they had authority to um, regulate intrastate, not just interstate, uh-huh. which was everybody understands they got intrastate going on. But they said right. they have intrastate, uh, and they get that authority through the Public Health Service Act. Not the F, not the Food and Drug and Cosmetic Act. So this was a a, a new one. <laughs> what struck but, me yeah. too, I don't know. I hadn't looked at any of these bills for a while until I looked at this today. 
and how much more homeland security is actually involved in everything in this bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I looked through the Uruguay Roundtable Agreement, and that specific agreement, um, according to what I read, basically says that uh, the U.S. law will um, be considered um, to supersede anything that, uh, the say, Codex comes in and they say, okay, for free trade, you know, you're going to have to have this and this and this and this standard, but U.S. law can preempt that. Now, how do they do an end run around the Uruguay Roundtable Agreement? They do an end run around it by putting in a phrase in these bills, such as this would not conflict with any Section international agreement. Yeah, yeah. So they, they negated yeah, that. So they yeah. the Uruguay Roundtable Agreement in that one phrase, one simple little phrase. One sentence, yeah. So it, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what else is in there, that one sentence is it. Yeah. Because well, I, I noticed they said... Yeah. One of the things I think we're seeing here, but we don't are not quite aware of it. You know, there's the UN Declaration of Human Rights. You know, rights are talked about differently there. Instead of how we understand them as individual rights from the Declaration of Independence, which are born with the rights and government exists to protect them, um, that you know you're the product of your labor that belongs to you. In in the UN world of the UN. The government grants they can grants you a right. They can restrict or withdraw your rights according to its needs. It's it's a very mm-hmm. different thing that is coming down from the UN than what we experienced here and, and was you know, kind of like that beacon of light everybody in the world wanted to have to be able to experience that sense of freedom and you know to possess your, yourself. When, well, when they Paul and you know, Barrier, too, said. that in the, in the Supreme Court ruling, New York versus U.S., uh, the ultimate ruling was that anything repugnant to the Constitution is null and void on its face. And uh, Blackburn, Justice Blackburn, I believe it was, who um, reiterated that... Uh, uh, at any time that there is a contest between a law that the government is trying to pass and the Constitution, the Constitution automatically trumps. You cannot pass a law that's ar- arbitrary to the Constitution, going back to New York versus U.S. Anything that's repugnant to it is, is null and void. So we've, we've got constitutional rights here. Uh, one thing that uh, Paul has always consistently pointed out to me is if you don't stand up for your rights and claim them, you lose them. That's so what we're as up long as right no, everybody, yes, yes, we better You've stand, got up. To stand up. Yep. Uh, if you if you sit silent, you have no right to complain, um, and you have no rights. So you've got to stand up and and be heard. You've got to demand your rights. Uh, you can't sit there idly by and say, well, they're just going to do what they're going to do. Well, maybe they are. But uh, I'm claiming my rights. I'm claiming my rights. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll do what I have to do to defend them. Right. Hello. And, you know, and the thing is, 
You know, we get, you know, and when you say something like that, you know, I know it's just running, it runs through my mind, so I know it's got to be running through somebody else's mind because I'm not all that weird. I know somebody might say so, but anyway, uh, is how. You know, how do I stand up for my rights when there's this gigantic boot, you know, over my head ready to stop? Well, I, my I, opinion I think- is I can get some you know, others is that, you know, first off, you have to know what your rights are. And you, you have, have to look into what the government, you have to look into what these agencies are doing. You kind of have to educate yourself. Uh, get online and start looking like, what's this? What's this? Why are they doing this? And start looking into it. Um, Local people need to look at what their county boards of commissioners or county boards of supervisors are doing, especially in relation to water. Uh, because they're selling, um, you know, your water right out from underneath you. So I, I think you really just have to be a good citizen, and, and even if you're watching TV and you're tired, spend an hour, like, what's this about? What's that about? Start asking questions and then looking it up yourself. Don't depend on some fluffhead on the air news to tell you. Well, and the thing is, S510 seizes control of food production and supply for export and trade. Cap and trade uh, is nothing but a tax scheme. Uh, Anybody in the right mind knows that global warming, that has been so thoroughly exposed as a hoax. But since they knew they couldn't pass cap and trade, that was um, delegated to the EPA, and they're implementing it anyway. Um, So it's basically seizing control of our energy sources. Then you have the CLEAR Act coming up, seizing control of coastlines, waterways, everything, putting it all under control of of what is now a military branch, the Coast Guard. Um, And so you see they're taking the water, they're taking the BLM and the Department of Interior, uh, attempting to seize another 13 million acres in the western states for industrialization, not for biodiversity, not to protect the environment, but to seize the land for industrialization, and they are leasing it out to foreign mining companies left and right. Uh, the attempts in the states themselves uh, contracting with uh, corporations and selling off in states like Nevada and Arizona, where there's a finite amount of water, selling off the water to another state. Uh, everything's for sale. Everything's for profit. At it, it, no point. And and if you say anything, it's like you just you know you're a liberal and you just hate capitalism. Uh, this isn't capitalism. This is rape and plunder. Uh, <laughs> everything's being <laughs> taken true. from you. you know, yeah. Well, it is. That's it is. I it know. Is. This isn't. We'd cry if you didn't trade. Out, yeah. This is a. Yeah, it's a free for all. So we have all of these things in progress. It's a free for and, all, and every one of them. Citizens. Yes, and 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 all of these things, once they culminate, they have effectively made slaves out of us. They've got our food, they've got our water, they're taking our land. And what else is there? So you. Well, and the thing is, they're not somewhere. doing it just. They're not doing it just. You know. Um, they're doing it one step at a time. It's not all one big wham hammer, but they're getting to the point now where, to, where we are going to get the hammer, you know, brought down on this. But like I was telling somebody today, you know, we think, oh, hey, we're we're free. You're not free. If I want, if I'm hungry, 
and I want to go catch a fish to eat, I can't do it unless I have a license. And if I get caught, I'm going to be fined just to be able to catch a fish and eat. And I think a lot of people, this is what our country is based on, you know, being able to feed ourselves. And, you know, for poor people, they could go catch fish or something to eat. Or just anybody. Well, one of the things that S510 attempts to wipe out is this generational knowledge uh, that's been acquired over many thousands of years, but here in this country over the last two centuries, of this generational knowledge of, of how to manage the land, how to manage your crops, how to take care of your animals, how to produce food in abundance. And they want this gone. They want the the idea of how to prepare food, how to store food. They want this gone. They want to replace it with this codex crap and this best practices of this and that. Anytime you see best practices or you see sustainable or smart growth, you're talking codex. And that's what they want gone. And they want to replace it with what they call best practices. All best practices is in any form is a reduction in the barriers to trade. And under every illegal, unlawful trade agreement is always a paragraph that says in um, NAFTA, it was Chapter 7, and CAFTA, Chapter 11, that the rights of the investor and the corporation will be held above those of the right of the individual at all times. No country that's a participant in that can erect what's called a barrier to trade. That means they can't erect environmental laws. They they can't... uh, erect uh, protective agricultural laws, they can't do anything, or the World Trade Organization will come after them and put sanctions on them and make their life a living hell. So this is this is what happens. These, these trade ag- agreements are set up against us, and they weren't lawful or legal to begin with, and we have let them stand. We have not fought them or contested them, and now we're faced with this monster S-510 sitting in our Senate like a big giant vulture, and if this thing passes, we're all in the toilet. And that's just the truth of it. And anybody out there that wants to dispute that and call in and give me a piece of their mind or attempt to, if you've got a piece of it, it's 1-917-388-4520. And I'll be waiting Marty, on I'm going to jump up. Uh, I want to thank you and Barb all right. and Nicole for all your great research. Thank All you. right, Deb. Good to hear from you, Deb. Okay, bye bye. Bye bye. This is just uh, Nicole. We're getting down to about the last six minutes of the show. Is there any information you want to get out there? Any contact information? Um, any resources you want to give people to to go look at? Is there anything oh. along that line? I don't really have a website. If they if they are if they're interested in seeing what I have um, researched on this matter, you can check out my author's page at Op-Ed News. Um, you just have to follow the, the the links there. I don't I don't have the. I think you actually posted the link on on your radio show page. So if mm-hmm. you want more information, what I've been able to dig up this last year and a half or so, check that out. Um, Please stand, start standing up. Uh, this is the, what I'm finding about uh, this Agenda 21 and its uh, 
and the and the hard treaty that they're planning to follow it with. Um, this will affect every aspect of our life. You know, S510 is horrible, but they've got a lot more up their sleeves. And um, there's just so much. Don't, I, don't you find that in my next article, I'll, I'll have more information on that. But this is affecting everyone everywhere. Um, and, and, and rights under and the every time they get are away with one of these, these, every time they get away with one of these uh, political slights of hand, the next assault's worse. It's more invasive. It's more intrusive. It takes away more of your rights. Uh, it destroys more of the Constitution. Uh, and one of the things I do want to bring up here, the people, it, it's got down to you either work for the government or you're with us. And I am amazed at the people who will slap on a government badge. Ordinary, everyday people, your neighbors, family members, friends, will slap on a government badge and turn into a screaming psychopath. They will do the most god-awful things and go collect their paycheck. Uh, I don't understand this, and personally, I think these people ought to be shunned from our communities. I don't think we should be dealing with them at all. They've already shown us they'll turn on us. Um and in that light, uh, you know, people think that our military won't turn on us. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. And uh, so it's it, we've got a lot facing us fighting this food bill, this fake food safety bill, S-510, is just paramount at the moment. We, we've got to beat this back. I hope everybody listened to what Harry had to say about things you could do, about uh, contacting Mitch McConnell and Tom Coburn. Um Again, Nicole, uh, check her author's page at Op-Ed News. Um, and check out what she's written. It's some of the best research, um, uh, most well-researched and uh, documented writing you'll find out there. Um, then, of course, we got everything going on on Farm Wars and on PPJ. Uh, girls, we're down to the last couple of minutes. Of anything either of you want to add? Barb? Barb? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, yeah, I just, I would just like to see everybody, you know, start concentrating on local foods, just pushing back with um, local foods, bartering with your neighbors. I just gave my neighbors um, lettuce. Um, he came by and then gave me potatoes. So it's, you know, and then I'm, I'm doing a little bit of um, web work and I'm going to be trading that for some honey. So if you're not spending the bucks on food and, you know, you're getting it elsewhere, then, you know, you're not spending the money in the system. And that's what I would like to see. Well, and and I think that's what it's going to come down to, too, is barter and trade, barter and trade. Um, Stay out of the system as much as you can and uh, just try to uh, get along the best that you can it, it's this is going to get really ugly before it gets better and um so i want to thank nicole thank you so much for coming on the you're show well, you're very uh, welcome and for having speak. me oh it was it was a pleasure and we want to have you back again uh barb you stay out there hang on to the mountain <laughs> paul thank you for running the chat room i appreciate it <laughs> and uh we're we're trying to get this down. Um, it's time to say good night, everybody. So good night, Barb.
Good night, Barb. Good night, Barb. Good night. Bye, Gracie. Everybody have a Bye bye. Bye all. Bye bye. Antes de salir a disfrutar de una noche de fiesta, planifique un viaje seguro de regreso. No conduzca bajo los efectos del alcohol o drogas. Piensa en tu familia y todos los que dependen de ti. Conducir bajo la influencia del alcohol o drogas puede destruirlo todo. No conduzca bajo los efectos del alcohol o drogas. Todos contamos contigo. Un mensaje de la Policía Estatal de Nueva Jersey. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.